Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and we have fun doing it. This week, we are spouting off about when closed source services fail you. So let's get into episode 34. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. With me today is the robotic cyber queen of the network, Wendy and Matt. Wow. How are you? <laughs> Nate, I would almost feel insulted by the lack of actual effort in the introduction, <laughs> but I'm not. Well, I was thinking about all these things that I could say, and then I thought, just and Matt. And Matt. You just don't inspire me today. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I guess maybe if I said I'm starting to use OpenSUSE, that it might inspire you, but we all know that'd be a lie because I don't like the installer, specifically the Wi-Fi portion. Yeah, that's the, uh, that's like their tired old trope. It can be a tired old trope doesn't mean make it not true. It's just tired. <laughs> Wendy, something that's not tired. You've got a Raspberry Pi Sense hat. How's it going? I don't have one yet, but as I was digging through all of the different stuff that I could get for the Raspberry Pi that I now have in hand and the build hat that I'm going to be playing with, I found this Raspberry Pi Sense hat. And this is really, really cool. It has a gyroscope, an accelerometer, a magnetometer, temperature, barometric pressure, and humidity sensor all built into this hat. And you can create some really, really different awesome projects with it. If I could get the Sense hat and the build hat on one Raspberry Pi, which is one thing I've been researching how to do, then it would pretty much completely take the place of the Spike Prime Hub. Because one of the things that the Hub has the advantage of over doing this on a Raspberry Pi is it does have a built-in gyroscope and accelerometer inside of that. And I do use those sensors when coding the robot, most specifically when I'm doing turns and I've talked about my struggles with trying to get accurate driving straight also using that gyroscope, which as a side note, I still haven't got figured out. But I absolutely love these sensors and would love to have them on the Raspberry Pi for a robot build too. So this is another thing that I would like to get picked up. On top of that, it also has an 8x8 RGB LED matrix, so you could have it do smiley faces and whatnot. It's one of the things that's already on the Spike Prime Hub as well. It's just one more thing to play with. I have this now massive wish list when it comes to things for the Raspberry Pi. So that would include the build hat, a component kit, a complete sensor kit, the sense hat. I need a battery pack still and I just haven't found one that I'm like, yeah, that's the one so if anybody has some recommendations to use with a Raspberry Pi, it would need to kick out at least, I think, 7.5 volts is what it said on the documentation. And that would be just for the build hat. So it might need more when it comes to the sense hat. And a lot of the official ones are only 4 volts. So that's kind of an issue there. I still have some more research to do, but... The problem is the more digging I do, the more things that I find like, oh my gosh, 
that would be awesome too. So there's this product called a pie stack. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. All right. I'll put a link in the show notes for you so you can look at that immediately. So it allows you to put multiple hats on the Raspberry Pi. I have an article too on that as well. Now, these are things nice. I've not played with, so I have no experience in using them. But when I go down those rabbit holes of when I think about a thing, this is one of those things I stumbled upon some time ago. So this may or may not work for you. It looks a little bit cumbersome because it's, you know, it adds quite the footprint to your Raspberry Pi, but it may or may not be an issue for you, but it allows for up to three hats. Oh, wow. So that might or might not work in your case. I really don't know, but it's something to think about, to look into maybe to see if that will work for you. I don't have a need for something like this at this time, but and it's one of those things, you know, you just when you see it, you got to index it. So here we are. Right. And I'll definitely be looking into that. And size is somewhat of an issue when you're putting it on a moving robot. Right. Exactly. And I have noticed that overall, keeping the robot very compact makes for much better turns, much better mobility and getting around the game board or wherever it's going. It can get into more of those tighter places. And it could be one of those things that I just need to measure out and measure it as compared to my current robot and see Mm -hmm. what that might look like and go from there. Because you could always put all of that on top though it will possibly mess with some of your attachments. If you have attachments that You want to have top-facing instead of side-facing. But it's definitely one of those things to think about because the use of those sensors are so incredibly nice in getting accuracy with the robot. And as far as the battery backup, there's I've seen a lot of different solutions. And there's a a newer one that I haven't seen before called Pi Juice that is another hat. So I have seen that one. Okay. The biggest issue with that one is you can have really large batteries. It just doesn't have high enough voltage output. Oh, okay. Has been the issue with that one. There's also a Masterhawk Raspberry Pi UPS power supply. I don't know if that has enough power either, but it's something you could look into. The other thing too is you could probably just build your own you could use like a DeWalt battery or something and power everything off of that. That would be another way and just kind of totally separate out the battery pack piece of it. And if it's something off the shelf like that, yeah, it's a little bit more pricey, but you're always going to have a replacement. You're not going to have to to fiddle around with it. Right. The biggest downside of that is the weight. Well, they got smaller, lighter ones. Ooh. So a two amp hour battery is pretty small and pretty light. And they have even these new power stack ones, but they're really expensive. I don't really know how well those are going to perform, but they're supposed to be even lighter than the already light two amp hour batteries. Well, that is definitely something to check out. That's actually a project that I haven't talked about that I'm sort of in the middle of, like my bench power supply has all the pieces hooked up to it, that I'm testing using a buck converter to put inside a, it's a thing you snap onto the top of a DeWalt battery that allows you to plug USB into it. But I want more power than just the five volts off of that to power a computer. Okay. So I'm modifying one, putting a little buck converter, boost converter. No, it's actually a bust boot converter. Bust? No. (laughs) Buck boost (laughs) converter that allows you to regulate the voltage coming out. So the DeWalt battery, nominal voltage is 18 and a half volts, the 20 volt max is. It's a marketing thing calling it 20 volt max. I don't want to use a mat word, so we'll just say a marketing thing. And what I'm doing <laughs> is I'm taking a little boost converter and I'm hooking it into the terminals on the battery to take the 18 and a half volts or whatever voltage is coming out of it and boost it up to 20 volts, taking that and putting it through a power converter to be like USB-C standard for 20 volts out so that I can plug my laptop directly into it or cell phone or whatever. And then I can use my five, six amp hour batteries. So if I'm, you know, let's say I'm camping in the woods and I want to get away from technology minus my Steam Deck and laptop and cell phone or something like that. If I'm in an austere environment with my tech, 
I can just plug, like take a Walt battery, which you can throw very easily in your bag or whatever, and, you know, use that as needed. So it's just something I'm toying around with. It's not done yet because of, you know, other projects. But anyway, so there's some options there. I would love to see what that looks like for you sending me some pictures or whatnot, how you're making that work. And that might actually be the best route to go for the Raspberry Pi power. I know I've seen some that you put in like AA batteries, which I wasn't super excited about. I would much rather have something that's rechargeable and that would kind of fit in that zone of having something that's small, lightweight, and rechargeable. Right. And I don't know what kind of tools Magneto uses, but you could probably use something to work with his tools and just take one of his batteries without telling him. I'm kidding. (laughs) We do have some DeWalt tools, (laughs) but they are all using the much larger, much heavier batteries. He's got some other stuff that is definitely more heavy duty that stays in his work pickup. I don't touch those. (laughs) Because <laughs> he has to have them, right? But if you don't, working on. But if he stuff. just doesn't know, I'm kidding. I'm, I don't support thievery. Thie- I got to the job thievery. site and then <laughs> couldn't finish the job because my battery was missing. <laughs> well, I mean, it's Magneto anyway, so it's eventually going to break. Are you saying it's free reign because I'm saving the tech from breaking? You're saving the, <laughs> the batteries from Magneto, so it's totally okay. <laughs> you could probably claim it as a field loss. You know, you got attacked by like a wild whatever like boar or something like that out there in, in the Idaho desert. Uh, Yeah, that won't work. We don't have wild pigs in Idaho, thank goodness. Okay, well, what do you have wild up there, bears? We do have bears, <laughs> but not necessarily on the flat area where we are. He could get trampled by an elk. He was almost trampled by an elk and he lost a battery. There we go. There we go. Okay. <laughs> No, that was all in fun and games, and you get to have all kinds of fun and games on a once-a-week stream for Game Sphere. What have you been playing? What's coming up? What should people know? Well, this past week, I didn't get a chance to stream, actually, because life is always fun. Oh, yeah, I noticed this because I actually had my system ready waiting for- I still have to do this show with you. So, <laughs> no, work called last minute so that's is what it is unfortunately okay. as far as that work called don't even start <laughs> so this past week i had planned on streaming uh the game i'm currently playing which i'll discuss later so the game that i ironically forgot that i was streaming last time i did stream was remember me which was a sci-fi cyberpunk kind of action adventure game so that was the last stream's game. This one coming up actually is in this game of the week segment. So I'm going to kind of leave that one alone. You can usually expect some older-ish games, not as old as Nate, would I assume as new, but old enough. So right now I'm kind of on a like a 10-year kind of game kick. So a lot of older like games that are like 10 plus years old and that kind of stuff. So. That's kind of where I'm at right now, for the most part. So basically new. They're still too new for you. Yeah, basically new. They're old to everybody else, and they're still too new for you. So (laughs) I guess you're the wrong audience, mate. I don't know. Unless it's Lego. Unless it's Lego, which, yeah, okay, you got that. Or, you know, re-releases of Disney games. Of old games, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this coming week, because I was not able to actually stream for this Monday of this recording anyway, the community gets to decide which console I'm going to be using, whether it's, I believe I gave the choice of PC, which 
It's, you know, desktop, laptop, Steam Deck. There's only five choices you can use in the voting tab for community stuff. Xbox Series X, PS4, Wii U, or Switch. And right now, the Steam Deck slash PC portion is heavily skewed in that direction. There's Nintendo Entertainment System on that list. If it starts with a Wii U or a Switch, <laughs> yes. Okay. That's something I, I try to do when there's multiple choices a lot of the time for gaming. So I try to give kind of a choice for the community to see me suffer sometimes. You know, there there was the cyberpunk first person parkour. You get hit once and die game, which I died a lot, <laughs> which was Ghost Runner. Uh, so they got they got to see that. And I can still say uh, I would love to see Ryan or Michael play that game. I think they would probably die more than I did. <laughs> I think uh, watching you die is basically worth the admission right there. Oh, so many things I can say. All the love. It's just all the love. It's something. It's something. I don't know where to go after that one. No, Nate, it just shows that I want to see if they have the gaming skills they so vehemently say that they have and, well, demonstrate that they don't every time I've seen them actually live stream any game whatsoever ever well you know when they're not busy doing whatever they do ah, psh, they're not busy it's not like <laughs> michael runs the back end for the entire website and stuff and uh, you know network and right it's not like ryan has a job and is a dad and all the other stuff nah, nah, they're not busy so while i'm busy streaming games putting a smile on nate's face about how many times i die in a game nate you're using the emoji selector from katie plasma to do it it seems yes I am putting smiles on your little shameful plug with this really awesome application. I, I was late to the party on this one, like super late, like three years late to the party. Apparently, this application came out quite a long time ago, and I never noticed it. So I stumbled upon it in the last week where you have right there in the menu, you can type in emoji or whatever, and it'll launch this little application where you can search, click on the emoji you want, which automatically puts it in your uh, paste bin and then you can paste it wherever you want, or a clipboard, I should say. And it's a great little application. But how I actually stumbled upon the application was I somehow like mashed keys. And if you hit the meta key and period, that will bring up the emoji selector application. So you don't have to hunt for it in the menu at all. It's right there. It has a great little search feature and things broken down by category, as you would see in any other application that uses emojis. But it's a great little tool and it has, you know, the, the recent, which is important, like the recent emojis you've used. So like, for you, Matt, I would probably, when I've talked to you, the most recent emoji you would see is either like the sarcastic looking face or the poop emoji. Those would be the ones that, you know, most often used when I communicate with you. But like for other people, it's just, you know, smiley face or whatever, or laughing, shrugging, stuff like that. It's a great little application. I just discovered it. I don't know how I missed it. There was even an article on, um, there was even an article on pointystick.com. Nate Graham talked about it on December of 2019. So that's how late to the party I am on this. I don't know if there have been any major improvements since then. It's super awesome to use. I like it because I can, you know, quickly use emojis anywhere and, uh, and paste it right in wherever you want. The way it works is when you click on it on your clipboard, as you click on it, it doesn't actually throw them in there like you might expect, like on a, like a keyboard input. That's one little difference. I don't know if it would be better that way, but I think the way it works is just fine. This way, I'm not too egregious on throwing emojis everywhere. So I think it, it keeps me under control a bit better. But anyway, so check it out. It's a the emoji input or emoji selector as part of KD Plasma. 
I'm sad I've missed out on using it for the last two years, almost three years. I didn't realize it was a thing either, so I've learned something today. Nate, I would say I'm surprised, but you know, it, given your taste in games, I'm not surprised that you're only three years behind. That's actually brand spanking <laughs> new for you. Yeah, but it's not a game. It's a utility. I like utilities, things that make me productive. Not that emojis are necessarily productive, but they're fun to put into, into things. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most building world-changing apps that grow your business. Predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. Get support at every stage of growth, from teams of one to teams of 1,000 with simple, powerful cloud computing. Get growing with DigitalOcean. Listeners of Linux Out Loud and members of the Tux Digital community can get started for free. In fact, better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. Make sure you get started with your $100 free credit at DigitalOcean and their awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. We've ragged on open source projects coming and going or sometimes doing things that we didn't really enjoy. We haven't really talked about closed source projects doing things we don't enjoy like shutting down when closed source services fail you. I know for me, a lot of the reason I like open source projects is there's a lot more control over keeping services or applications that you enjoy running for you, at least locally or within a community and so forth. So one of the recent happenings in the tech world is Google Stadia has been shut down or it bites the dust, I should say, in three months. They give the notification that it's going to be closing down. For those that don't know what Google Stadia is, it was a cloud gaming service a combined Wi-Fi game controller and allowed users to stream gameplay through the web browsers, TV, mobile apps, and Chromecast. It was only about three years old. It was basically the cat's pajamas for what seemed like a long time. People are very excited about it and seems to have sort of drifted away. Was this an expected thing to happen, Matt? You're more on the gaming side of the world than I am. Are you surprised by this announcement? Not in the least. Was anybody? <laughs> I mean, really. For not the reasons people are going to assume. There's the joke that it's Google. So there's literally a site called killedbygoogle.com. And right now, if you go back and look at what's either dying or dead from Google, it's like almost 300 different products and services. So their track record, not immaculate when it comes to this stuff. Just look at all the different social media stuff that they've tried doing, like competitors for, you know, the dreaded Google Plus, which had some really cool stuff in it until they forced every person with a Google account to use it. Uh, <laughs> It's not unexpected as far as that. Like if you're looking at it strictly from it's Google. So of course they're going to kill it. I'm viewing it more of 
There was a service back in the early 2010s called OnLive, which is exactly the same thing as this. Streaming's the future and all this other stuff. And I think if I remember correctly, Sony ended up buying that company's dead carcass, like the tech and all that kind of stuff. Nice. For specifically Sony's, I think it's PS Now streaming service, which is like a supplemental thing to everything else that they do. Streaming games, specifically because of the medium, does not work fighters and all these other kind of games. Less latency it means less delay between if I push a button and it takes a half a second for it to actually register on the system because it's got to go to a server and then come back to me it makes for a bad experience. A lot of people said the experience on Stadia was nice as far as that, but the overall problem is accessibility. The gaming companies that are pushing this as a one size fits all solution totally miss the fact that 40% of the market doesn't have humans in general, you know, the 8 billion people that live on the planet, 40% of them don't actually have internet or access to it at all. It's a cool supplemental thing, but like its main motivator, I think is doomed to fail because it relies so heavily on something that a third, at least of the planet doesn't have access to. We've kind of talked about like the rural America stuff. Yeah. Getting good internet's a pain in the butt. Like you have no choices or the choices you do have are very skewed to not great. Right. Or, you know, it's all the same gray color of bad. Every <laughs> single service you have is essentially going to be the exact same service. It's just who are you paying for it? And then you have the places, especially even more rural other countries where there's no internet access out there at all, or it's not affordable for them to get because of whatever reason, whether it's income or the current price of that service in their location. Yeah, definitely. And the thing with like Stadia specific, flipping back to that, is Google didn't tell developers that they were doing this. You know, the people building games or making games available on Stadia, they didn't tell devs. They just said, oh, we're killing this in three months. That's rough. Well, the problem is you had literally companies that, like CD Projekt Red, the guys that made Cyberpunk 2077, they found out the same day everybody else did. So Google's pulling in NVIDIA where, like with the last graphics card, where their partners got to know what was coming on the same day they announced it? Yeah, then to which EVGA said, well, guess we're not making any cards anymore. Yep. I actually give props to EVGA saying, we don't like the way you're doing business. It really shows that these closed services, while convenient or nice, can be severely problematic, not just for like us as consumers and, you know, users or whatever term you want to use for that. It also affects like people who make the things for those services or rely on those services, especially when these companies just say, ah, we're done. So you just threw like a billion dollars at a project where like you sneeze at it and uh, uh, our ROI wasn't good enough or fast enough. Well, maybe if you fixed your perception problem with like the general audience of you kill stuff all the time to equate this more to gaming. Google kills more products than EA killed studios. And that's amazing. <laughs> I even I get that reference and I'm not a gamer. Wow. For those that don't get that <laughs> reference, go back and look at Electronic Arts history of buying studios and then shuttering them and killing them off. Origin is actually originally a game company. It wasn't a service. That's crazy. Well, this is not the only service that 
Google obviously killed off. And these are things I didn't know that they killed off either. But Google Hangouts is now being shut down in uh, November. Yeah, it's going to Google Meet integrated into your inbox, if I remember correctly. The one that I think is surprising is a Google Cloud IoT Core. I remember they made a big hubbub about that a while ago, how that was... You know, everyone has had this fear that everyone's going to just use Google stuff for a while because they'd make it so much more convenient for developers. Well, that's gone or going to be gone, I should say, August 2023. Now, with Google Stadia going, I'm kind of concerned then. Well, not really concerned, but the Xbox Play, which is it's still being developed. It, it's released. You can use it, but I guess it's kind of considered beta. xCloud. Yeah, xCloud. Xbox.com slash play. It's their play anywhere service, which is right, which what is they're calling it. Like now. Google Stadia. Does this one have more legs because there's an Xbox underneath it? I can't help but think, you know, why would I want to use Xbox Play if I can just use an Xbox? What's the reason that someone would even want to use that? Now, I am using it on my Steam Deck to play games portably. I have a Series X and I don't actually use the Play stuff as far as the Xbox Play remote stuff. I'm just not... Streaming is not my... I keep up with the hubbub around streaming services, but I generically don't use them as far as it relates to gaming generically my understanding for xcloud or whatever is say you buy the physical game you can stream it from your xbox anywhere that's kind of the concept so it the thing that killed stadia was basically you had to rebuild your library geforce now and that kind of stuff is that it uses current libraries where you don't have to rebuy everything right that does come into effect in order to use like xcloud or Xbox Play. I buy a game. Cool. I can use it on my home system or I can go ahead and stream it. Awesome. So the fact that there is a physical box probably does help because people are going to buy games for the box generically. It doesn't matter if you've downloaded it, bought it physically. You can play it wherever you decide to play it. That's perfectly fine. Again, I think it's because Microsoft, for all its ills and other issues, they've (laughs) withstood a lot of problems in the gaming sphere specifically. Google has this habit and companies like Google have this habit of, oh, we didn't see our ROI in three years or two years or whatever. Do you think Microsoft saw a profit for an Xbox anytime in that first generation or when they had to eat, you know, what was it, a billion dollars or whatever for all the failing Xbox Series 360s, all those returns? The ring of death. Through all of that fiasco, we're here 20 something years later and there's still Xboxes coming out. You have to actually believe in the product in order to do it. And Google, for everything it always does, doesn't believe in half the stuff. And I will give Google credit. They do try things, and that's fine. But on the same note, you can't just try stuff, make a big deal and announcement about it, and then basically do your customers and developers dirty by being like, oh, y'all found out at the same time. Have fun. Yeah, it was a very dirty move, I think. I mean, they get people all excited and hyped up about a service that they ultimately end up killing off. But this is not the first service that Google has done this with. So it's not like you should be surprised necessarily. No, oh no, I'm not surprised. I never got into Stadia. I feel bad for those that did or put any investment into it because I already know Google's track record. I believe in Google's track record. The track record speaks for itself. (laughs) Yeah, they've killed 274 projects according to this website. Yeah. So for me, this is where my problem with a lot of these kind of services and stuff come in, though. This is why I'm reluctant to rely on things like the Adobe Software Suite or Creative Cloud stuff. As cool as it is and as awesome as it has certain features and functions that aren't available in the open source stuff, 
I'll take the lack of those features and functions and knowing that I don't have to worry about them doing what they decided to do to a country. I think it was it Brazil, I believe, that was still running like physical activation requirements for CS6. And they're like, oh, you can't activate it anymore. Hmm. What? <laughs> that kind of stuff. I'll take the lack of features sometimes to ensure that I can still actually use things. Right. I think I want to say, you know, on the other side of things, because Google has experimented with stuff, sure, like someone suffering from ADHD, but because they do experiment with things, do you think any technologies are or services or, or new markets have emerged because of Google, even though they've killed those projects off? So we have Stadia, right? Well, we had Stadia, or Stadia's almost gone. It's on its deathbed. It's uh, waiting to uh, lose it in the guillotine, maybe. You could say that for this website. But because of Stadia, we now have maybe the Xbox Cloud Play. I think NVIDIA has one too, I think. Yeah, GeForce Now. Yeah. Yeah. How is that one doing? So if you're specifically talking from a gamer perspective, it's one of the better ones because it uses an established library now there so it ties into your steam library and a bunch of others that one is not nearly as bad as far as that because you don't have to rebuy everything now there are companies that have been kind of being like oh we don't want to offer that with our our game and that's fine that's you know those companies choice to to make that possible or not that's totally fine i don't really but as far as the streaming services of themselves that one seems to be the least hated is <laughs> probably the best way to say it. Is the Microsoft one too new? Is that why it's not hated yet? And those that use it seem to like it. That's all I can really say. I haven't tried downloading Edge to try it on the Steam Deck, so I can't speak on that one. I don't know what the experience is like. You know, ironic, given the fact that I'm sitting here staring at an Xbox Series X. But like <laughs> I said, kind of like you when it comes to the gaming they I keep up to date on all the tech and all the other kind of hubbub around stuff, but I'm kind of curmudgeoning in my, like, I buy it, I own it. <laughs> it's really right. weird, but I'll go to Steam and I'll happily send Steam money. But a lot of it's perception and a lot of it's goodwill that they've shown. For all the stuff that Google has helped with, with the open source stuff, to answer your question, Nate, I think Linux has benefited from Google. Not without its own issues, you know, look at the fiasco of like what version is Android running for the kernel and that kind of stuff. From a hardware perspective and hardware enablement and just getting more stuff into the kernel so that we have a better, like those kind of out of the box experiences, I can say that's where one area we benefited from. Age-wise, Google Stadia and GeForce Now came out really, really close to the same time. I remember a lot of hubbub about them. And I think you're right, like GeForce Now could be doing better because of what you're saying that library where you can bring your own games and then knowing that Google is so likely to kill things off and things that I don't even understand, right? I've got this YouTube TV app on a smart TV that I'm watching movies on and they're telling me, oh, you can't watch your movies from this anymore because as of what was it? June of this year, maybe it was June of last year. I can't remember. I'd have to look at that what Google killed website. They got rid of it. And I'm like, okay, but why? It was working fantastic. So if there's things that I was using that were working great, why would I want to invest time and money into a platform where I'm having to rebuy games from them? I'd want to see that they were rock solid as a platform. And obviously, they're not. 
And it leads a lot of people to be wary about a lot of these different services. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a gaming service. Time and time again, we see companies offered services with hardware. You buy this piece of hardware and you'll have a service for life. Like there's been some robots and... IoT um, devices. Yeah, IoT devices, but even gaming consoles because Nintendo killed off the Wii. Yeah, currently I know the Wii U and the eShop and all that stuff... It's either getting shut down or shut down. I know you can use existing funds. Like digital stuff has a shelf life and it's not like a lot of stuff that these companies in perpetuity want you to continuously buy the same thing over and over and over again. This is like in the uh, MPAA and it's, oh, I have it on DVD, but I need it on Blu-ray kind of thing. Keep on buying it. <laughs> That's really what it boils down to when it comes to like, digital goods like these like consumable digital goods but when services shut off access to this stuff man why do i trust these companies when you know i've invested x amount of money in it people will be like well we use the games because it's it's just an easier thing for people to kind of grasp google has a track record of killing everything i stand by the statement that they're ea <laughs> but people will say well matt you buy games from uh, Steam all the time. Yes, I do. But Valve has given me a track record of showing that I've bought a game. There are games in my library that are no longer listed for sale. But guess what? I go to my library and I click download and I can still play them. That's the difference. Yes. And that is incredibly important. And Amazon can't even say that. I know there was an audiobook, a version of an audiobook that I really, really liked. It got pulled from Audible for some reason. I contacted the company. They gave me a credit so I could get the new version, but the new version has a new reader and the new reader is absolute crap. Like you take a very great book, a very well-written book, and you put a bad reader on it, which this is, and it completely changes the tone of the book. It changes the tone of the character in the book. And then this person can't even do good voices for other characters. So then even though it's a story that I've heard a million times, I get lost in it. While they did give me my book back, they didn't actually give me my book back. And now I have <laughs> even less trust in that company and Audible in general. Mm -hmm. And also funny, early on in the age of the Kindle, they did reach in and take back the book 1984, which is funny <laughs> because it's ironic. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, hello, irony. <laughs> wow. Wow. Anyway, I mean, I haven't really been bitten in the, uh, in the posterior too many times by the cloud services because I don't use a lot of cloud services. But there have been many times I've been disappointed because of the cloud services in removing things. And actually, Nintendo is one of the biggest culprits of I'm very disappointed in their lack of respect of keeping some of these older systems, which are still viable systems and still fun to play on. I mean, active. I mean, why shut the Wii down? Yes, I realize the Wii is almost 20 years old at this point. Wow, 20 years old. Gosh, that hurts. Anyway, but like the Wii U, I mean, that's what? It came out 2016? Came out 2012, Nate. 2012, so it's 10 years old. And it seems a little early to shut that down, the whole Nintendo DS thing. There are some still unique features of the Nintendo DS that is not on the Switch as far as like the game sharing thing. It's such mm -hmm. a cool system. It's done locally between the systems. I mean, it's such a neat feature. Why kill that? Why? I mean, I understand why, but it, to me, it's such a disservice to the customers. It's a disservice to the technology they developed. I think it's a disservice to the engineers that worked on that technology. There's a lot of things that just, it's really unfortunate. 
What I do think is very neat is I think it's the original Xbox. There's been a group out there that somehow re-reverse engineered some service that Microsoft shut down on the original Xbox. Yeah, Xbox Live. <laughs> yeah, so that you can still use it with the old systems, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. Maybe the solution for these shutting down these online services by closed source services is give them to open the public. Source. Yeah, open source it. Even if it's a dumpster fire of bad code, you know, the community will fix it eventually and then people can still enjoy the technology. Even if they don't want to hand over the full thing, at least hand over enough information that the community can build something off of that because there are people that want to keep these systems alive. We have a Wii and I remember playing the Wii when we first got it. It was a ton of fun. I think it's a gaming system the kids would continue to enjoy playing but it makes me not want to buy anything from nintendo again plus the fact that i am not happy with the way nintendo handles the switch and the prices of games on the switch yeah nintendo has a really bad rap from me right now and has nothing to do with me being a fan of sonic and has everything to do with their business practices closing down services and the prices they charge for games i think it has something to do with sonic but that's just me <laughs> Somebody's a fangirl, this. Team Blue over here. I know we've kind of hit heavy on the, the gaming end of this, but it relates to all the services. Like I said, you know, input X service here, being beholden to another company that oh, doesn't make enough money anymore. It doesn't work well. And sometimes, like you mentioned, Nate, you, you get things where... People like Amazon will, you know, oh, I bought it. No, you rented it. Yeah, that's not cool. They will execute on that. Yeah. The reason I trust like Valve and that stuff, again, is because they have not given me a reason not to trust them. You give me a reason not to trust you, Google, Facebook, <laughs> Amazon. Is it bad when the least dumpster fire is Twitter? Yes. <laughs> yes. Microsoft has actually been pretty good stewards now. And as much as that hurts my teeth to say that, they've actually been really good <laughs> digital citizens, as it were. I mean, not perfect. They got their problems. No, nobody is. To kind of roll back to the gaming aspect, they were doing something Sony wasn't. They were making games from the original Xbox playable on the new system. So you can play Xbox, the original OG Xbox games on the new Series X or the Series S, whatever. And that's cool. You can play 360 games. You can play Xbox One games. So you have four generations of console you can actually play. And they were going through that effort to renew licenses and all the other stuff. So people want to know why I didn't necessarily jump into the PS5 end of the spectrum. Sony didn't give me a reason to. Microsoft did. And I think that especially with funds becoming a bit more tight as of late. Mm -hmm. Some of these cloud services, you know, these subscriptions out there, they become more of a luxury item that that's not really necessary. I used to be a big fan of Netflix. Now they don't have a lot of these shows that I watched when I first got it. And I almost don't know why I keep it other than for those kids shows that my kids like, you know, but like, it's not even really for me anymore. And it just, you know, little things like that, there's, it's just disappointing. At some point, I think I would rather just buy the shows I want and then give me the digital downloads so I can hold it locally. That would be more my beat at this point. I like the show Monk. Haven't seen it in a long time. It's not really available out there for me to stream so far as I know. I'm sure it is someplace. Yeah, but it's just not worth it for me to seek it out at this point just because I, you know, I might get that service and then, then it'll just not be available again. There's still things like that. Sour my mouth to these closed source services. And that's definitely where some of these other options are really, really nice. If you do have that local media, you can use your own media server in order to make that work. 
there are some other ways that you can stream your games to a different system, to the living room and whatnot. Definitely the downside of those is you need time to set them up, you need time to maintain them, but there are those options out there that are not going to go away because they are part of the community. Okay, I take that back. Things can go away if the community drops them, if nobody else wants to pick them up, but they're less likely to be gone forever. And this is where I would much rather invest in home automation that is open source, not only for privacy reasons, but for longevity reasons of those different devices. Absolutely. And I've been looking more and more into those options. And without a doubt, it's open source. And there's two very strong motivators to keep me there. Yeah, things like home automation, man, if you invest in something that's a cloud service, and that shuts down, it could happen. Then what? Then you've just spent how much money putting equipment into your house that you can't use now because the service shut down? There's no convenience factor in easy to set up that's to me, going to be worth the cost of admission. Just in the home automation field, how many times have you heard, like, was it the universal hub remotes that Logic used to make or does make? And they're like, oh, the remote hub isn't going to work anymore. <laughs> yeah. Huh? I remember that one. Then there's <laughs> Google buying Nest Thermostat and becoming, you know, was it Nest Cam or there, were, there was something with the cameras that they were recently like, oh, this old version of hardware isn't going to work anymore or something. And it's like, you just kind of look at it and it's like, why? The hardware in and of itself is perfectly functional. Perfectly fine. Before you touch to Google, put it back where you found it. Right. <laughs> because the service on the back end is shutting down. Therefore, now you have created e-waste. Mm -hmm. by having this chunk of camera I can't use for anything because it relies solely on you. Yes. Right. I definitely can understand that. So I personally, I'm not a home automation person, but I can un definitely understand why you wouldn't want to rely on companies like Google and Amazon. You know, at least if they're going to abandon hardware, they can at least give you the keys to it to say, all right, here you are. Here's how you access it. Here's what you can do with it go forth, do great things or something like that. But they don't even do that. They don't have the courtesy to prevent these things from ending up in the landfill or e-recycling or whatever. Tie back to Stadia. That controller that people bought yes. for the Stadia is essentially a useless chunk of plastic. Awesome. <laughs> oh, in no. its current form. I hope someone can fix that. Because of the way the Bluetooth is, I guess, locked down would be the best way to describe that. That's awful. Way to go, Google. Well, and you can revive older tech to have great lives. My kitchen system is not new and I put the exact same system in at my in-laws house and that's their day-to-day -day computer. It doesn't need to be anything fancy. They don't need the latest and greatest hardware. All they're doing is surfing the internet, sending some emails, looking at pictures. Like it doesn't have to be this super top of the line system. And there's plenty of old hardware, especially coming from companies that are renewing what they have to get that stuff for really cheap, really good prices. And they make fantastic systems, fantastic systems. So now it's time to throw in your two cents, maybe one for Matt. But when closed source services fail you, how are you affected by it? Does it keep you from maybe subscribing to another? Do you have a list of services that have shut down on you that you wish wouldn't have? And a lot of reasons to go open source. This just covers a few. As I put in the show notes, Stadia is dead. Long live Stadia. So send us some feedback or put in the comments below. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. 
Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentications, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for teams, individuals, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. Say you want that premium account. It starts at just $10 per year. What comes with that? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage, and Generation Plus Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. If you're like me though, you'll want to show your appreciation for this amazing open source project by signing up for the premium edition, especially where it starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. Wendy, when I saw one of your interests for today, or the interest for today, I got very excited. What is this block CAD? This is actually something that I found while cruising the education part of the Raspberry Pi website. They have all these different projects you can do. And one of them was a 3D printing project. I'm like, wow, that's kind of interesting. Why is there a 3D printing project here on the Raspberry Pi website? Like I know you can use a Pi for the OctoPi in order to monitor your 3D printer or add some extra features to it. But on this, they gave a website called BlockCAD. And this is really, really cool because I am unfamiliar with CAD in so many ways. When I have jumped into FreeCAD, it has been completely and totally overwhelming. And while on this website, I found out one, that Raspberry Pi is referencing that because their code is open source. So you can find all of that stuff on GitHub and they do offer additional classes that it does cost you in order to do. So take Scratch and turn that into coding for a 3D printer. And this is a program that I'm going to start learning the fundamentals of using CAD. My kids are going to start learning the fundamentals of using CAD and being able to really create some neat things in a block code format. I've already taken one project on there. It is a Lego, a four by two Lego, which it had words along the side. And I put our FL team name on it. I was also doing a test because I've never run my filament out on my 3D printer. And I knew what was on there wasn't going to be able to finish the print. I upscaled this. So instead of being regular Lego size, it's way bigger. So I knew that the print wasn't going to complete. It didn't. I replaced the filament and my bad, I moved the deck just a little bit so it didn't reline up properly. That wasn't the printer's fault. That was totally user error. But it was so cool to look into it, figure out where I needed to make those changes in the wording. The first one, I didn't have the word centered. And the latest version has the team name centered. And instead of the team name being on both sides, one side is the team name and the other side is the team number. And I will be taking that Lego with me as kind of a reference piece tomorrow when we have co-op, seeing if this is one of the things the kids would like to do for our table for competition, whether it's like multiple different Legos with a word on each one or whatnot. It was just super fun and a fun way for me to start playing with CAD. I have 
the free one, they do offer a free class where you kind of shows the basics on how to use it. And so I figured I would share this educational resource with everybody else if you haven't heard of it yet, because sometimes block code is a really fantastic way to learn how to get started. Well, that sounds very cool. I'd like to see some of the things that maybe you do with it if you are willing to share at some point in time. But it looks like this is kind of a web client, perhaps. Or I know I didn't really dig into it. I don't have an account. Yeah, you do not do any of it on a local computer. So this is one of those things that you can hand over to kids and they can do at home and they don't have to install anything. Right. But you know, parents, especially me, I'm very hesitant when my kid's like, I want to install, even if it's something coming from school, I don't want another app. I don't want to, you know, another whatever. So this is one of those ways that no matter what your system is, you can still play with this. The downside is it's not local. But the upside is it's not local, like it's a positive and a (laughs) negative both together. They do offer education services. So if somebody wanted to use this for a school, they do offer like extra lesson plans, teacher support, classroom management, and all of that stuff if you wanted to use it in a full-on classroom school setting, which is amazing. Yeah, that is very cool. I mean, being that it's a remote application you don't have to install anything. I get that. Also, that means a lot of the heavy lifting is done by not local computers. So that also makes it right. easier for people who don't have powerful machines to be able to do CAD work. Not that it can do probably anything real complicated, but you know, nonetheless. Right. And there's so many kids that already have a Chromebook. And this means no matter which Chromebook they have, this is compatible because it doesn't have to be installed on them. The other really cool thing about this is you can get math lessons. So you can teach coordinates, you can teach volume, you can teach area using this CAD application. Well, that's nice. Yeah, that is actually very cool. Something to look into. I tutor kids and whatnot. This might be beneficial. Like I said, it's definitely something I've started playing with. I also did pick up LeoCAD again because I said something to my co-mentor about it and started building a piece in that. I did find some videos on YouTube I need to watch because I'm getting really, really frustrated (laughs) trying to manipulate the pieces and manipulate the platform in which they're on. And I'm trying to zoom in and it's taking me not to the place that I want to go. So getting highly frustrated with that. Some of the pieces aren't lining up quite right when I put some pins in. So there are some things I need to learn about that. I was on some toy website that focuses on Lego pieces and I'd put all kinds of Lego Technic parts in my cart and it's like 10 cents here, 5 cents here. Holy crap, I have $600 worth of Lego parts in the cart. How did that happen? It adds up quick. Six cents at a time. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So this is where LeoCAD comes in because there's some really awesome Technic parts, gears and stuff that I want, but LeoCAD offers me the ability to put them together in an accessory, in a robot, whatever I want and be like, okay, is it actually worth me getting this piece or, okay, I feel better going ahead and buying this particular part because I have a base version of what that will look like and how it will work inside of this thing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping that with something like BlocksCAD, instead of just printing stuff that is already available on Thingiverse, we can start printing some of our very own creations, start that learning process of, okay, this isn't quite right, let's tweak it here, and then get to the point where instead of using BlocksCAD, we're doing it in FreeCAD. Yeah, I think that's great. It allows you to, the whole easy plus one methodology, 
You start with something easy, then you make right. it slightly more difficult. Obviously, expand the learning and whatnot. I think it's great. I'm not the only one playing, though. You're not playing with Lego parts. You have a game that's based on a John Wayne movie. I mean, The Quiet Man, right, Matt? <laughs> but to be fair, Lego's uh, a little complicated for Matt. It requires, like, fine motor <laughs> movement stuff, and he just he can't do that. Yeah, somehow I'm able to do a show with you every week, Nate, and put up with that. Well, that's a talent, too, but that's not as, you know, difficult as Lego, I would say. Or maybe it's more difficult. I don't know. I'd say it's more difficult, <laughs> trust me. But yes, I know when <laughs> this is... The Quiet Man is the name of the game. It is not based on the John Wayne movie, however. <laughs> so this particular game is a third-person beat-em-up story-focused game. Um, it mixes full-motion video, so think mid-90s games as far as that. Or for people who want more modern reference, uh, look at games like Dark Side of the Moon. I don't mean the certain band albums that I can't sing or and or say right now. What about the movie, the Transformers movie, Dark of the Moon? Huh? Huh? No? Okay. I'll be quiet. So many things I could say to that. Yeah, there's something I could say to that where you brought up Transformers and this is completely off topic. It is to show that Michael's rubbing way too much off on my youngest child. He said around the dinner table something along the fact of going to the power plant that we have coming up as a field trip. He said, we should go as a transformer, and he wasn't meaning the kind that turn into cars. Oh boy! <laughs> I was gonna say if I wanted to go blind, all you would have to do is add some Star Trek J.J. Abrams lens flare to every explosion Michael Bay does, and hey, look, seizures for everybody. Anyway, so this game is a mix of old and kind of new. It actually does something quite unique in that it you play a deaf character but the game itself actually takes away a lot of the sound so you're left to interpret what's actually going on in the story as if you were the deaf main character so it's an interesting take it's not the best game of the world it reviewed horribly but i think that like in technology companies that actually try stuff I want to at least give credit where it's due. And th this is from Square Enix. And they at least try something. I'm not saying it's a good game, but it's a game worth trying just for that one-time experience. It's like a three-hour game. So if you can get it on sale, it's at least worth a try if something different is what you want to try. You know, I was thinking how much money they saved on not having to do all the sound effects and, and voiceovers. Ironically, after you play that initial playthrough, if you go back, you do have the option to actually have all the audio enabled. So you can actually get the story from as it was written to oh. actually mean. Okay. As opposed to trying to figure it out and guess, <laughs> which is <laughs> the whole point of the game. I prefer the first part as opposed to the latter. I didn't go back through and play the play I got you. with the sound. Okay. So it's an interesting way to do the game. At 15 bucks, eh, probably not, but at a sale price of like under 10 or 5 or whatever, it's worth an interesting experiment to try. And yes, it does work on the Steam Deck, Nate. How did you know I was going to ask that? Because you're always going to ask if it works on the Steam Deck because it's your only arch system. The last um, subordinate clause was not necessary, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was there some insubordination there, Nate? I'm sorry. No, just unnecessary. I would say I'm sorry, but I don't actually. I don't care it. about Arch. <laughs> I mean, I care about Arch. 
I deeply care about it. Of not using it. Yes, you're correct. You say so. We'll totally disregard that you're still using it nonetheless. Sure. So while I am trying to find ways of Nate to be quiet, apparently he's making a lot of noise by building more things. I am building more things and not just building a mess, but I built another gaming rack, my mini gaming rack for my house. Some years back, almost three years ago, wait, almost two years ago, I built a gaming rack for when I lived in my old house. And it worked very well for the floor plan of that house. And it had a lot of systems on there and whatnot. Well, in this house, I couldn't move the gaming rack to that location. It just wouldn't fit. It hit the TV above and it just, it just wouldn't work. I built a half height version of that. I just put it in play yesterday, ah, in play, a gaming rack. Between that and the, the cabinet that was sitting there before, I have a, a PS3, PS4, Wii U, a Switch. But most importantly, I have the C64, which is that modern re-implementation of the Commodore 64 by using HDMI and USB ports as opposed to, you know, the 40-year-old ports from years past. And so they're all there and it's all plugged in. I got a, an HDMI splitter. Some of the machines are fine with the HDMI like Switch thing, but the PlayStations are not. They don't like it. They somehow reject it. I don't know why. Not important. Anyway, so I have everything plugged in there and it's really made that area of the living room looks so much better. The kids had brought other like totes and containers of things. And uh, there's a game called Skylanders. They have these little figures that have probably some sort of RFID tag underneath them. They're not amiibos, I don't think. They're just, there's something else. What are they called, Matt? You know these things. I know what Skylanders is, and I know it's very much, um, they're video game toys that play into the video game. Like you drop them on the, I think it's the NFC pad. Yeah. I'm assuming you have it for the Wii U, yes. I'm guessing. Yes. You drop them on the game pad and, oh, characters in the game now kind of, exactly. kind of deal. Yeah. It's like uh, the Disney Infinity stuff. Right. And Or like the amiibos that Nintendo have for their things. Yeah. Uh, there's one for Lego too, Lego dimensions they have their near field communication things as well anyway so now they're on the shelf all the little characters figures are now on there so they can it's very easy now to put them onto the pad and everything else and i think i might have to add another shelf into it because i didn't take into account all the lego dimension stuff i'm very happy with the final result of this gaming rack and i shouldn't say i'm very happy i made some mistakes in making it which i don't want to talk about but i made mistakes and i had to compensate for that Outside of that, it's very useful. It's, I'm very happy with it, the final result of it. And it has made my living room look much less embarrassing if, you, you know, company comes and have all the kids things everywhere. And then all the controllers are in like another cubby and so forth and the cabinet that's right underneath the television. So it's one of my uh, home improvement projects that I have a list of these things just to make creature comfort, convenience thing. I don't know how you put it, but it makes the house more functional, less messy, easier to clean and so forth. So I'm glad it's done. The kids already much prefer that setup. It's a great way to declutter. All our stuff is still accessible, but at the same time, it's not scattered all over the living room, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, Matt doesn't have kids, so he would understand kids can mess everything up. Nate, I deal with you every week, so of course I would understand how kids mess things up. You don't have to deal with my clutter, though. Well, no, I deal with my own clutter. <laughs> that is a good point. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video, or on the contact form by visiting tuxdigital.com slash contact. If you would like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links at the bottom of the show description. Find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, Linux Saloon, and more at tuxdigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting the Tux Digital merch store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric I Pause My Game To Be Here shirt, or... Join hashtag Team Wendy with some sinister Wendy swag. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome sode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, 
keep the banter friendly, Matt. Conversation, someone on topic, and have fun doing it. <laughs>